Hey folks, it's Dylan here. Now it's October 11th. I'm going to try and get this podcast up for you. It's on meat care in the field with uh, Mike Defoe. Um, but before we get into it, I, I had a few things that I wanted to pass along, just the timing um, that we're in full deer season now in BC. One of the challenges we've had in BC, we have a white-tailed doe season that just opened yesterday. Now that season has resulted in more mule deer does, unfortunately, being misidentified and shot. Now this is a result of you know folks in the field misidentifying a white-tailed doe, assuming it is a mule deer doe, and unfortunately the consequences is 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 not good for the mule deer population. So just on that note, I just um, pulled out uh, some an excerpt from our core class. I have Selena Starnes. She's one of our mentors. She's awesome. And uh, she leads us through a video. It takes about 10 minutes. I encourage you to go there, have a look at it on our Eat Wild YouTube channel, and it'll walk you through a whole bunch of tools for identifying mule deer versus white-tailed deer. Great little exercise. So have a look at that. Now, also, I'm thinking about another thing. I, I just went through a game check on my way back from my mule deer hunt in the interior, and I had a chance to chat with uh, the wildlife biologist uh, who's leading the BC Chronic Wasting Disease Program. Now, this is just to get a handle on the potential of chronic wasting disease working its way you know, across the Rockies. There's, there is chronic wasting disease in Alberta and throughout the states. We've been pretty lucky so far in BC, but there has been a few... Uh, cases of chronic wasting disease working its way, uh, you know, into the BC borders, essentially across the Rockies and such. Um, but the program is encouraging hunters to take samples and pass them on to wildlife biologists so they can uh, track any progress of this disease in BC. So if you want to know more about uh, the 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 program, there's um, go to the chronic wasting disease in BC website, pretty easy to find, just Google it, or uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's too long to kind of get into it here, but you'll, I'll leave it in the show notes uh, if you want to uh, get on top of that and be part of the program, but basically they, they want you to cut out a section of the skull, on uh, the back of the skull, and capture some of the material there, and then drop it off at a location, and all that information will be online, but hey, just a couple of thoughts here, just getting into the deer season, Number one, you know, make sure you're properly identifying the deer that you're going to harvest. And number two, consider uh, taking a sample and being part of the BC Chronic Wasting Disease Program. Right on. Well, we'll get into this one. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers, and in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about meat care and game bags and packing meat. And I'm lucky to have bumped into Mike Defoe 
uh, Huto Lifestyle, and they do game bags and they have a line of outdoor clothing uh, based out of um, BC here. And I've been thinking a lot about stepping up my game bag program for some time. I, I've been using cotton game bags for a long time. Uh, they're heavy, uh, a little hard to dry out once they're wet. And I've been trying to learn a little bit more about synthetic options. And as I was talking this through with um, the, uh, one of the podcasts with uh, uh, the Alpine Carnivore crew there, they pointed me in the direction of Mike and Huto. And anyways, I bought some game bags off him. And next thing you know, he's joining me on the podcast to talk all about meat care. So I think this is a good episode. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with 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 Mike. He's, it, it, he's put a lot of thought into meat care and ethical decisions around when and how to harvest animals. So we're going to share that with you. We get deep into, you know, the the, the complexities of packing meat and the different sizes of animals and how realistic it is to to say hunt solo for certain animals and, and how many pack loads realistically it takes to get an elk off the mountain. So some good stuff in this episode. If, um, if you want to build some confidence around what you can and should not do uh, when it comes to taking good care of your meat in the woods. Now, this episode is brought to you by West Coast Kitchen Canada. So if you're in your hunting season and you want some nourishing freeze-dried food, go to their website, use the Eat Wild discount code and get a bit of a deal. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll be stoked for sure. And then, of course, Seek Outside. Uh, we'll be on our next trip coming up here. Mickey and I are heading up the mountain. We're going to try the Eolus up on top of the mountain. Super light, spacious, great for alpine mule deer hunting. And we'll be hanging out in that. So again, if you're looking to get into the hot tents or ultralight tents, um, go to their website, use the Eat Wild discount code. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to me directly. Um, I've pretty much had a chance to run most of their tents now. And, and um, yeah. Can, can share some knowledge there for sure. And lastly, if you're looking to get your hunting license or know someone that is getting there, um, have them take the Eat Wild online core class to get certified to be a hunter in BC. And there's um, also, oh, th- since we're talking about meat care, I should pump my, uh, I've got about a, uh, I got an e-course that's now available. So it's an online course through Thinkific platform. And it basically it's me going in deep dive into everything that I do to take care of meat in the field and lots of videos and discussion. And it's, yeah, it's an online course. I think it's 18 bucks and uh, we have well worth the money. You'll get a little touch of it here and hopefully you'll come back and sign up for that course as well. All right, let's check this one out. Nice to have you hanging out here and uh, I got some ground I want to cover with you. I, I mean, well, we'll, throughout the podcast so we'll get into a couple things i'm just curious about kind of what the how you got started making game bags that's kind of interesting i'm hoping we can chat about um meat care and some of the common you know practices and maybe some common mis- like misconceptions around meat care and see how how much you've investigated that or or, or or thought through it all and i imagine you have seeing as you're um seeing as you're making game bags and um mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, maybe we can talk about our different processes, and I think that's just important because I don't think we talk about it enough in in the platforms that we have. I think we spend a lot of time talking about gear and spend a lot of time talking about killing things, and not a whole lot of talk, time talking about taking care of them after they're dead. So, yeah, I mean, you spend all that time, all that money, planning and everything, right? And then you, you get to the most key important thing is is the harvest, right? So that's that's where you want to protect the harvest because it's that you know that nice clean meat that 
that's what you're there for, right? So you need to spend the time to be able to take care of it in the field to get it back to the table, right? So everyone can enjoy it. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm joined here with, uh, now, now is it Mike, uh, De- I, I'm going to say Defio, but it's um, uh, Defoe maybe? Defoe, yeah. Everyone calls yeah. it Defio, Defoe, yeah. So I go by Defoe. So it's, yeah. Don't worry, everybody says that. So yeah, I, I, well, I got a little hot tip from from our. We have, well, we have a family in con, uh, common, the Genghis family that uh, yeah. knows. Yeah, so uh, they said, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they had a good fish with you last week, and uh, it was yeah. good. Yeah, it was nice to see the guys again and Ben, and and so it's always nice to get up there away, right? It's it's uh, what other place would you want to be fishing for a week, right in the middle of nowhere? So. Yeah, it's pretty much right smack in the middle of nowhere, hard to get to, um, but beautiful yeah. spot to be fishing. Yeah. And it's been an outstanding fishing season um, over here for us as well. And uh, yeah, anyways, Mike. Well, I guess we're into it here. So maybe Mike, you could introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us what uh, what your program is with uh, Huto Lifestyles and Game Bag Program. Yeah, so it started in two two thousand nineteen. Uh, again, just me and and Dare and a buddy sitting around a campfire having a few beers and. You know, we kind of thought, well, let's make some T-shirts. So it kind of started with, and then we got more into the, you know, a little bit outerwear, and then we got into, you know, just kind of evolved, right? So, you know, my life, I've been around hunting, fishing. My dad's, you know, as a kid, I would go out all the time with dad. I never really got into hunting till later um, with Darren, which couldn't make it today. But uh, so as a young kid, we've always just been outdoors, hunting, fishing, and then you know, in the last five six years we really got into the hunting a lot and and started with like i said a little bit of clothing and then some shirts and then some hats and then you know the whole game bag thing started kind of two years ago i kind of started looking into it and the reason i looked into it because i mean you know you can find game bags all over there's so many different manufacturers that make them we just found that to find good ones in canada like really nice light ones that you could use on those long range backpacks. I just, I found that was a struggle within Canada. I mean, you can buy out of the States and stuff, but I found that, you know, to get it here from the States, the cost, the duties and everything. So that's kind of what interested me in, and, and to provide a product to the consumer that's a good product that's affordable that everyone would want to use, right? Um, there's a million different companies that make game bags, right? It's kind of all the same technology, but, you know, try to make something unique and a little different, but otherwise kind of fall in the same process as everyone else. Okay. Well, this is, this is be interesting because there's a, I've been, I've been hunting for, well, I've been, I'm 45, 46 years old now. And I've been, yeah. you know, very, pretty much doing this for 35 years or something, hunting and putting things in game bags for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, I think it's like a lot of like, I don't know, you know, a lot of, misconceptions maybe or, or maybe like you know it hasn't been a lot of science behind what we do with meat in the field and i'm and i'm curious to have a conversation with you about yeah. you know what what we can get away with and what and what we should be doing in terms of managing our meat in the field and the technologies that are currently available to us and and some of the processes that we could we could look at you know using and, and and imagine this is your world so i'm hoping that we can kind of walk through that because i think about this stuff a lot and i mean i i have for example like my mother uh she uh sews up my she she gets sheets on a deal from like winners and then she'll like sew them up and put a nice drawstring at the top and like yeah. my complaint is always that like 
no game bags are actually designed for a whole elk quarter or moose quarter. And I like to leave my meat with the bone in. So it's going to be tall. It's going to be wide. And I want like a nice big baggy bag to go over top because I find that if game bags are tight around the meat, then the flies still, uh, you know, are yeah. able to kind of work their asses in and lay eggs on it. If the, if the, if the weave is too, um, if it's too tight and the weave is stretched out. So like, I've never been able to find game bags except for my eat wild custom game bags, which is only two sets of them uh, yeah. made by my mother. Uh, and, uh, and they're great. And so I could, we could have, have sets for two elk or two moose. And, uh, yeah. well, I've also got, and I should, and this is a tip, but we'll, we'll, we'll get, I'll, we'll get into this later, but I've got the eat wild custom, uh, whole deer bags as well, which is basically a bed sheet folded in half for one entire <laughs> yeah. deer, uh, which, yeah. uh, uh <laughs> and that's, and honestly, that's, you hit the nail and hit, that's where I started too. It was like. You know, we wanted a game bag, you know, you know, my wife had a sewing machine. So it was like, I grabbed it and just, just went at it. Right. And started making some bags and trying different materials, going down to fabric land and trying different materials, trying nylon, trying cotton, trying polyester blends, trying, you know, synthetic blends. And then I kind of ended up falling on something we like, which we finally ended up going with like a, it's a Tazlan kind of nylon synthetic material right so we found that the cotton was good um the cotton obviously is a fabric that breathes really well better than really anything else but the big thing when handling meat i found is moisture retention right moisture is the killer right you get into yeah. that you get into hot warm conditions especially early season you'll hunt an elk right in the uh, in archery here in bc and even down in you know in the states right Moisture kills. Bacteria thrives in that danger zone from four degrees to 10 degrees, right? Um, bacteria can double in count in a matter of hours at that mm -hmm. temperature and the right moisture, right? So, um, so the, the, the way we looked at it is like we here, we produce essentially have three different lines of game bags. We have the swamp donkey, which was the original ones that came out. They're a, they're a nylon synthetic, but they have a slight DWR coating on the outside. So it's something mm -hmm. that, that protects the water from getting in, but still allows it to breathe. Um, the other ones we just recently did were the long range and the tagged out, the orange bags we have. They're mm -hmm. a lighter material. I mean, I think the whole set of six bags in long range weighs less, about a pound, 1.1 pounds. And they're non-coated so they breathe way better they're a little lighter um and not quite as strong as the swamp donkeys but still the hanging rate on those is about 120 pounds and then okay. we've got the, the last ones we just launched i just launched last week are the easy loads so the easy load is this it's aesthetically the same size bag same material but it's a dual zippered system right so there's another other, I think there's other color companies that do it as well. They don't use a dual zipper, but so what it is, it's just a game bag with dual zippers down the side. You know, we found that, you know, I've done a lot of hunting by myself and to try to load a quarter into a, <laughs> into a bag by yourself, is difficult, right? So we just thought yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we would try these bags and they're, like I said, I just launched them. They're a zipper bag, both sides, zip it down, lay it down, lay the meat on, zip it up, pick it up, hang it, right? Can fit a whole out quarter in them. So that's so, yeah, kind of. I see that one. So that's, so that's what I was, I was looking at this going, well, this is well, 
so you've sent me a bunch of stuff and I, I, yeah. I put an order in with yeah. you and uh, and we got chatting after I put the order in and then this came up this came out that we're gonna have a conversation so um but yeah, you, and you threw an extra one in the box with, and this is the, the this is the zipper one that you were that you were launching, and yeah, I was I was looking at it, and I mean the construction looks good. What I'm curious when you say hanging weight, that means that you can, like, I typically would with my cotton game bags, I, I always have the weight hanging off the the shank of the yeah. of the meat. Um, yeah. But so when hanging weight, does that mean you can just like tie it off and hang it off the bag? So we. So when we test them, we, we put them through the test, we hang them, we start at whatever, 50, 60, 70, 80, 80 pounds, we work our way up. And that's a, you know, I don't recommend, like you said, to hang them right from the string, right? Obviously, you know, like we always tell the guys in the field, if you're going to get the gear, get the quarter in there, wrap that paracord around the shank, tie it up, and then tie that up to the yeah. up to the tree or wherever hanger, right? It's just a, we have, I advertise it that weight. Now we do put statements in, in our website saying that, you know, it shouldn't be hung like this, but that in theory can hold that much weight, right? And why we do that as well is because some of the, the two other spare parts bags, we call it, they, you normally don't put a quarter in that, right? So typically you'll throw the back straps, the grind meat, whatever in that bag so that bag has to be able to hold that yeah that 90 yeah. whatever 100 pounds right would, would you load a small pickup with 110 pounds i mean probably not but yeah, yeah. but that's what they can hold so we kind of just note that that's our our hanging weight right yeah so. yeah okay that, that's interesting well that, that makes a ton of sense okay so yeah. i want to go back to the nylon versus cotton thing and i i will yeah. i you know, just grew up saying uh, cotton 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 like you got you got to use cotton for your game eggs um obviously plastic you can't use plastic so then nylon is somewhere in between cotton and plastic so mm-hmm. you know what walk me through the the thought process of deviating from cotton and moving to uh, a synthetic yeah. so cotton think about it like this when you're hunting, you look at all these big companies, like, like I mentioned before, moisture retention is the same as, you know, not just meat, but, you know, being out in the field, working out, sweating, cotton tends to absorb moisture. So it'll absorb moisture. It'll stay in the cotton. It won't necessarily excrete it away from the body. Now, when you get into the synthetics, the polyesters, the nylons, the, the merino wools are really good. Like you guys know that they, they take that moisture away from your body and excrete it. I mean, mm-hmm. we also, we do a synthetic base layer here and it's the same concept. So the synthetic will get it away. The cotton holds the moisture as well. Cotton will hold, cotton gets more stinky and it's more susceptible to bacteria growth to stay in it. Um, the nylons and stuff dry faster. So then obviously if it's drying faster, it's getting rid of the moisture. It's going to get rid of the bacteria or essentially in theory, not allow the bacteria gain and grow in that, in that material. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. as well, cotton, as you know, when you wear it, it's just like a cotton hoodie or t-shirt. When you stretch it, you get those gaps in the thing. Like, you know, those cheesecloths, the cheesecloth uh, game bags that everyone used to use back in, you know, they still sell them. They, They serve their purpose, but if you stretch that enough, the flies are still getting into that, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you get flies and you get larva on your meat. It's just, it just ruins your meat, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why I think everyone is, is kind of gone. Like I do a, I do a polyester cotton blend bag. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have them in stock now. I'm still working on getting some more, but then you're sacrificing again, a polyester cotton weighs way more than a nylon blend. 
So when we did it, we said, well, we could make a line of polyester cotton ripstop bags. They're for, I look at it, they're for the hunter, they're for the quad hunter, they're for the guy that's, you know, maybe driving around his truck, maybe deviating a little bit from the truck, but these synthetic ones are a lot lighter, they're stronger, they dry faster, they breathe just as good, and they're not more, it's as susceptible as cotton to bacteria growth. So that's kind of, that's the kind of theory behind it. And it, and the material is a nylon Taslan, they call it nylon Taslan ripstop blend. It's got okay. nylon, it's got a slight bit of cotton, very little for the fibers. And then it's got, um, I can't remember the gentleman explained it to me, but another type of synthetic fabric, right? But, but that, cool. though, that, that ripstop is what really creates that strength in there, right? And breathability. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Cool. So now, okay, so I have a question for you. Yep. When you load your, say you're in the field and you load your quarter in to the game bag, while it's breathable, does it leak blood? Like will the blood work its way out in these game bags? In yes and no. In the Swamp Donkey line we carry, I mentioned before that they have that slight DWR coating on the outside those bags tend to and we design them in that in that way that they tend to hold more blood and moisture in the bag now do they hold it all no it there's stitching there's sewing it'll seep through the fabric at some point but it usually takes an hour or so to do that okay. um, what i always recommend is when you buy the swamp donkey line is you throw it in the washing machine you wash it on hot water you put it through the dryer, you beat it up a little bit, and it's more susceptible to let that out. So I run, so I typically run the swamp donkeys later in the year when it's colder because they have that slight DWR and they breathe, but not as well as the new ones we've come out with. Okay. okay. So I, I've never had a problem with blood loss just because I run a backpack where I don't put it in my backpack. I run the outdoorsman where I have the meat shelf and then the pack pushes away. So yeah. I never had that issue, but I've had guys come to me and say, you know, the bags are great. We put them in our backpack They're They do leak a little bit, but they don't leak that much. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. So I want to come back to this idea because this is, yeah. this is a point that I thought about a lot. Yeah. Um, but, but what I do like about, and this is in my thought process of deviating away from the cotton, thicker cotton sheets yeah. and that whatnot game bags is that the thing that I, why I set out, well, to take it one step back, this was the, this year I was like, okay, I finally got to solve my game bag problem. And the game bag problem is that I'm, I'm, I'm packing 10 pounds of game bags on an elk hunt for, for two elk. And I, and whether it's we're throwing them in the, the drift boat or into the, into the, or if they're back at the camp or whatever, I was like, I can save weight here by going synthetic. And in my mind, the, the way that the main thing that I was going to win on with it is that synthetic, I'll be able to, like, they're going to saturate with blood no matter what. I'll be able to take them off, allow the meat to dry out a little bit, and then rinse the, the bags, clean them, and then dry them out, and then put them back on. So there's, yep. whereas that once that cotton, like once cotton bags get saturated with blood, it's like a, you, you kind of throw them in. I mean, my process is, yeah, I throw them into a, 
a bucket of water bucket, and soak yep. them for a few days and hope then throw them in the wash when I get home and hope for the best. But I would never think to like wash them in a stream, throw them out in the wind like I do with my long underwear or my underwear when yeah. I'm on a sheep trip and just refresh. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, hey, wait, I could throw them the meat. I could throw my sheep quarter out on a rock. It can dry out in the wind yeah. and I can go down to the creek and wash these game bags and then throw them up and they can become a kite for five minutes. They dry out. And now I've got this like fairly reduced, well, creating, I'm reducing the environment for bacteria to grow. And I've got that option with synthetic. So that's why I started researching synthetic game base. I thought I'd get that advantage of mm-hmm. being a little bit drier, a little bit cleaner, um, and just not being hung up on this thought that synthetic doesn't breathe because it obviously does breathe because it's just a, it's another fabric and they can, and you, know, you, you and others have designed it to do so. So. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there there's so many different like manufacturers, Argali, you know, Kafaru. They are all all of them are good bags. They're all some sort of synthetic blend. Everyone has their own individual quirk, I guess, or individual design of what material or reasoning what they use it i mean at the end of the day i look at a game bag it serves a purpose one obviously is to keep your meat clean uh, the flies off your meat if you're on those long trips you know two is to you know obviously to let the meat cool down as well in the game bag while protecting it from the environment and getting it off the mountain right and if you have to hang it for the night you can hang it in a way where it's it's not going to get infected with flies and larvae right um so that's the kind of thing. And then also having a game bag where, and I'm not necessarily a huge fan, but you run into those circumstances where you have to cure your meat in the field, right? Sometimes you're on a, on a 10 day hunt, right? And you're, say you harvest something day one, we've been there, right? And it's September and it's getting up to 30 degrees and you got to come up with something in the field, right? There's no exact science to it. I think you just kind of make it work with what you're doing, right? And I think the game bags are a good way to protect the meat. I mean, obviously, if it's hot and warm and cold, you have to pull out some other stops to be able to handle that. And, you know, we can talk a bit about that too, but mm-hmm. some techniques to do that. But it's, 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 you know, I know guys that, and it's a controversial topic. Like you said, I know guys that throw it in a garbage bag and throw yeah. it in their backpack, right? Yeah. And a lot of guys are like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, that's just promoting growth. Like, and I get it, right? You're keeping the heat in, right? But, mm-hmm. um, well, some guys still do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so. we'll we'll talk about that. Let, let's talk. Okay, let's go to. That's kind of my program, for, partially, and I take a lot of shit for it, but I think there's <laughs> rationale to it. So let, let let's we'll talk about that in a bit, but maybe let's talk about like optimal game care on let's say like a a, a back extended backpack hunt where we're in in the backpack country. Um, what is an optimal situation for? Let's go with a mule deer hunt. It's not overly complex. And uh, uh, provide me sort of the parameters of optimal meat care on a backpack hunt for a medium-sized animal. Well, I, th- I think the first thing, it, it starts off, I mean, you got to look at what type of season you're hunting, when you're hunting, the time of year. I think the first thing is is scouting the territory you're going, right? Um, that's going to boil down to everything, how you're going to manage your meat, right? If you're planning a hunt where you're, you know, you're nine, 10, 11 kilometers from the closest road, your closest truck. Well, then you need to do your, your, your homework and research the area. Is there basins I can get into where it's cooler? Um, do I have a route to get back to the truck? Can I hang it somewhere? Where am I going to camp? So I think that's, 
that's the number one place you start there. Um, the second place is obviously if you're successful in harvesting an animal is, is getting the meat, getting that hide off. I found as mm. quick as possible, right? Because if you look at a deer, the internal temperature of a deer is about a hundred degrees, right? That's, that's warm. Like that mm -hmm. is right there is promote growth. Right. And a lot of guys say that, you know, a lot of guys like to keep the hair on or keep the hide on, but you know, that's fine. You can do that. It's just depending on where you are and the time of year you're hunting. So I really like to, when I harvest an animal, especially in, you know, September, you know, mid September, October, where it's still, you know, above that five degrees that, that I call it the danger zone, right? Five and above degrees for bacteria. I like to get the hide off. I like to get it in game bags. And then if I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I like to look at a spot where I can get down to a creek bed or I can get somewhere where it's in the shade, where it's cool, where I can start getting that meat down, the temperature of that meat down. Once you get the temperature of that meat down to whether it be a couple degrees, four degrees, five degrees, I think you're in a safe place. And then I typically give it the, you know, in temperatures between zero and 12, 13 degrees, I like to get that meat off of the mountain within a day or a day and a half. That's the goal. Now, obviously that's not always happened. So if you're in a basin in a creek bed, you know, go down to the creek, you know, you can dig a hole, you can put the, you know, the game bags on the rocks in the creek to cool it down a little better. You know, sometimes even guys like to, and I've seen it and we've done it before is, is I carried, I got big barrel, barrel liners from work, right? Big thick mill poly. We throw two or three of those in our bag, right? And worst comes to worst is you, you throw it in one of those, you wrap it up, you let the meat cool down, you let that rigor mortis set because that happens between eight and 12 hours if you can. If you can let that process go through and then get it in the creek, then, but if not, throw it in bags, put it right in the creek and let it cool down right away. And then if you're going back out hunting or going back up the mountain, maybe another guy has another tag, right? And then at the end of the day, when it's cooled down, I like to get that meat back up and hung up in a tree, right? Because in theory, if you're hunting, hopefully that temperature comes down to somewhere around that five degrees, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're not going to get that insane spike in bacteria growing the thing because soon as you get it up, those enzymes are going to start breaking that collagen down, right? And that's what you want, right? But you don't want a so high temperature where it's going to get that bacteria, right? It's like, and, and yeah. so that's kind of what we look at. I mean, when we're hunting, right? Planning is a big thing, right? If you're out in the middle of nowhere and that's the biggest thing is, is planning how you're going to get that meat back to the truck. You know, not everybody has a luxury of, you know, phone in a helicopter or a plane to come in and land and take your meat away when you're done. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's a good lesson. I mean, and I, I, you know, so with eat well, the, the program that we work on is like trying to, you know, support people on their journeys to become hunters. Right. So they don't necessarily have a lot of support early on and um, so looking for mentorship. And, and this is a big question. I mean, and, and, and I see a lot of folks like do a lot of things that I'm not, you know, that, uh, I don't know, raise concern or just or, or just add risk to the, the outcome of the of the meat and, and I mean sometimes it works out I'm sure but I'm sure sometimes there's some you know serious uh, you know screw ups with 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 meat with oh yeah you know taking risks and and um, we had a fun, uh, it, it, we, so we 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 had um, uh, a, a successful sheep hunt last year and we 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 doubled up on on rams on on the opener and we were a ways back and it was hot. It was hot. And, and we knew it was hot 
and our plan was to we had we brought in dry bags with us, were actually clear food safe plastic bags with a plan to get the meat off the mountain. And we had a creek by our base camp, and we knew we could get it in the creek. So we got our, so we we were on separate mountains, and we and there's four of us and two separate parties of hunting and. We, we each had kind of a, a hunt planned out, so we were optimistic that we were going to be successful. Um, anyways, we we in reach each other at 8 o'clock with, you know, both both groups had, had rams down, and we hustled it back down to base camp with our yeah. with our respective rams. And our plan was, you know, into clear plastic garbage bags, food safe, and uh, and then right into the creek. And it's a creek is basically, you know, it's a, it's a glacier melting, yeah. So it's water's three degrees or less, and that meat went from whatever ninety three degrees or whatever they're running at hundred degrees, whatever down to three degrees in a you know matter of in minutes yeah. probably. So we were we were happy with that dropping down, um, but the part that was difficult is that we got that meat down and we were happy with that, but then we still had a, an adventure ahead of us. We had to pack raft out of there and we had to back wait well, the backpack for six hours and then we had a two or three days of rafting ahead of us but when we got down to the main stem of the river like the river was like nine degrees and it never occurred to me that the river would be that hot and of course this is right in the yeah. middle of that heat dome yeah. and uh and the river temps were like like i i just thought we'd just keep it underneath i thought we'd keep the meat submerged underneath the pack raft floor and it would be four degrees, five degrees, like mountain stream. Like I thought it'd be like actually pretty cool. Like, yeah. So, and anyway, so we were, we were genuinely like, like it was probably a four day paddle. We did it in, we did it in two days because we were just like, we just did two 16 hour days of paddling just because we were so freaked about the meat care. We ended up getting back to, uh, we, we, we got to the pullout where we can get out. Then we had a long drive to, where we get into the butcher and we were like the butcher was good and like I, I called the guy i was like hey i'm in a bit of a panic here we got two rams and we just don't you know we're worried about it we got them on ice now but we're worried and uh we got in there finally and he he, he opened up his door right, right as soon as i got a hold of him we got him in there and he looked at the rams he's like this is the best sheep meat i've ever seen and 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 we were shocked because like i was like it was it was suboptimal care yeah. In my mind, and, and and yet the standard for mountain meat, according to this butcher, you know, in basically Fort St. John that sees a yeah. hell of a lot of sheep, is saying, yeah. "No, no, this is great. This is perfectly yeah. clean. You guys did an amazing job. It smells amazing." Like yeah. most stuff I see, like I cut, I cut half of it off, and you know, and I was, I mean, I was kind of blown away. I mean, I was, yeah. I actually, yeah, was really, really shocked. We were all shocked, and and all of us were in a panic, and. And, uh, you know, it was nice to hear that, but on the other hand, it was also a reflection of, you know, a lot of animals maybe don't come off the mountain looking so good, you know? No. And, and, and like I said, I don't know if there's an, an exact science. I mean, obviously you need to look at where you're going and plan what you're going to do. But at the end of the day, I mean, moisture, like I mentioned before, moisture is a killer for the meat, but if you can try to get that meat down in temperature, like you guys did, yeah. I mean, that's all you can do in the situation, right? I mean, you're up the mountain, you're not, you don't have a cooler you can open and stuff it full of ice, right? Oh. So as long as like, like a lot of guys say like they, you want it to breathe, you want it to breathe. And yes, you want the breathe, you want the air to come around it. You want it to, 
you know, to cool down, you want the, to create that crust on the outside, you know, that, that starts forming, you know, the enzymes, that's that aging process, but, yeah. but you're stuck for 12 or 15 hours before you get there. Right. So I think you can put them in garbage bags. You can put them in, you know, a lot of guys, like you said, use those dry bags, you know, fold the top up, crunch it, clip it together. Right. Yeah. And hang it off the side of your boat. I think that's fine. It can be moisture in that bag if the temperature is below or somewhat controlled around that, you know, I say the magic number is zero to four degrees, right? That's where yeah. the best aging happens. But if you can get it down or get at least down some temperature towards that, I think you're in a good position, right? And you buy yourself a lot more time because obviously the higher that temperature goes, the more the bacteria is going to multiply. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So. Have you ever had a disaster on a hunt where the, the meat's gone bad? Yeah. Yeah, we had one, it was two years ago, we were up in, I think we were up by Chetwin, uh, Gwillem Lake up in that area in between Chetwin and Tumblr. And we had hiked in an old deactivated logging road. I can't remember which way it was, but, and we were elk hunting. We did harvest an elk and I'd be the first one to admit, you know, it was my first three or four years hunting. We never really did any planning. We just kind of went in there with, hey, let's go shoot an elk, right? And yeah. it was, you know, that early elk season up there, I think it was probably the end of August. Cause I think we were hunting moose and elk too, at the same mm -hmm. time. And we just got in there and we got into it and it was hot one day and we shot an elk, you know, smaller elk. So we right away, you know, gutted it, quartered it, get it hung up. This was obviously before my time of game bags and we had other, the cotton game bags. Right. Mm -hmm. But it just got so warm that we managed to get we took the two quarters out, some grind and stuff, and we hiked it back about seven kilometers to the truck. We got that back, you know, in the truck, in the coolers. We had to run into town, grab some ice, throw the coolers in it, come back. And it was probably a matter of eight or nine hours. And by the time we got back there, um, the flies, you should have seen it, like on these cotton stretch game bags, the flies were all over. Oh, and you could, know. you could, you know, you, you know, you get those game bags, you can see those white, that white eggs they, they lay. Yeah. And I, I tell you, man, like, in up north right the flies are ruthless and yep. it was covered in meat and and we did we took it right obviously being ethical you took it back and separated it between the other stuff and we washed it and tried but it just there was that stink to it and it was just that even in that eight or nine hours right so it just shows the importance of trying to get that cool right and, and doing whatever you can right and planning you got to plan where you're yep. going you got to yep. be able to understand what you're doing right you can't it's not like you can go in and shoot a deer and like i can go in and shoot a deer and throw everything in my backpack and take it out like that right you're not going to do that with an elk right not one guy so no and no. you know they got tons of good tools like i hunter just came out with that new uh 3d maps now they got okay so it's that just to plan your hunt right it's just like anything else plan it find a base camp, find out what you're going to do and make a plan. If you're going to kill something, don't go in blind. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that's, you know, I mean, for any, you know, I spent, I've, I've had to pass on a lot of early season mule deer because I've been too far back and like, there's just, the, the, it's still 30 degrees in the midday yeah. and I just, just no way you can't do it. And yeah. we had an elk trip. We took horses in uh, the east side of the Rockies, and we rode in, and it was like it was just it's a cool spot we got into, and there's elk everywhere, there's elk bugling, and it was 27 degrees and 14 degrees at night, so yeah. like it was 
it, all, all we did is tend the horses and nap for like six days until the weather dropped yeah. a little bit. And then they finally dropped down to 10 degrees and like four overnight and shot a couple of elk and left. <laughs> it yeah. Like, yeah. But it's, it was. It's just like we're, yeah. we're going next week off to the Kootenays to do our, our backpack hunt that we did in those couple of videos where we've been successful and. Yeah. And uh, it's supposed to be hot. So, you know, we look, we've we been talking about it with our three buddies or four buddies and said, like, hey, what are we going to do? Like, one backed out. So there's three of us. And, you know, to hike an elk off the mountain nine or 10 kilometers with three guys is two trips, right? Especially with camp and everything, yeah. right? Yeah. And we just looked at each other and said, we don't have a choice. If it's going to be that hot, we're going to be gutting quarter and hauling it out and then just dropping it in the cooler and truck and turn around going right back up, right? Yeah. So I think those are the things that, that kind of get overlooked, like... You know, and, you know, that's probably one of my more common mistakes that, that hunters make is they just don't, they just don't plan, right? And, yeah. that, and that's a huge portion of it. You know, they get excited. We're going hunting. Yeah, we're going to, you know, there's so many elk. They pre-scout. There's lots of elk. And then they shoot an elk and, you know, it's hot and you got to get it off the mountain and you just can't in that time frame, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, it's probably important to talk about the actual, like, the realistic time frame. So how long does it take you and your buddies to break down an elk from pulling the trigger to having it into pack loads? We did that one last year and he fell in a, in a, in an okay spot, like not on the side of a mountain. The one last year fell right on the side of a mountain, but typically if there's two or three of us working on it, we, when we're doing that, we'll probably do the gutless method mainly. Um, so we could have an elk broke down in maybe a half hour if we really jump at it and go mm -hmm. two guys. Um, it's usually about, about an hour and then, and then we've got it in our packs. And then obviously if you shot an elk and your, your camp's not packed up, you got to pack camp up. So you're looking at, you know, you're not leaving for two or three hours. And sometimes if you shoot it at nighttime, you know, do you, do you make the decision to go or do you make the decision to wait? Yeah. And, th and those hopefully are it's cool enough that you have some well, options. Right? Yeah. Those are the things that you need to consider, right? Like, you know, how do you get, well, do you got other buddies that can help you? Stuff like that. Right. That, that I think really, really get overlooked. Right. Yeah. They, and then, and then just the, just knowing when that, when there's the red light, I mean, you know, it's feasible if it's warmer weather, you can shoot that deer or that elk at seven in the morning because you've got all yeah. day to get it out. Yeah. But if it's warm and it's, you know, and you got, 14 degrees overnight or 10 degrees overnight, you, you just don't even bother hunting in the afternoon because you can't no. get it out. Right. We had that, we had that situation last year, um, right at dark seven by seven walked out. We were nine kilometers from the truck and we knew where he was. We'd seen him the day before. And it's just like, what do you do? And like to pull the trigger on that. And he was 65, 70 yards. So not a real long shot, but a good poke with the bow. Right. Oh yeah. And we looked at each other and said, man, we're like, and the valley we went up was like washed out creek, log jams. Like it was just a disaster, right? You're climbing over four foot logs, you know, try to do that with 130 pounds. So we just made the decision not to and looked at him for him the next day and just never found him. Right. Totally. So it, it's, it's just being a hunter. Right. And I look at it like it's being ethical and practical. Yes. It's a big animal. It could be a trophy, but there's no point in shooting an animal 
if you can't successfully get off the mountain and enjoy what you're doing because at the end of the day you're out there hunting to enjoy the meat right that's why i hunt i don't get me wrong everybody likes to shoot a seven by seven or a big six or a big animal but yeah you're i i love the meat right and that's why i do it and to do with family and friends is just it's another bonus right totally so that's another thing that i think is a misconception it's just how like i see a lot of people going on solo hunts and like I get there's kind of a thing. There's a there's you know there's some shows about it, and there's some folks who you know are going after it on their own. And um, but like, I can't pack a mature mule deer and my camp by myself, and not even freaking close. Oh, and I'm pretty fit. Like yeah. So so what do you, what are your parameters for packing and and uh, you know. Where where do your boundaries for packing? <laughs> well, for, first thing is like let, let's first let's 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 just break down some weights first and the realistic weight. So how many pack? Like, how how many pieces do you break an elk into, and what do they weigh? We we typically will break the elk down into the four quarters. We'll do one, two, three quarters. Um, we'll take the back straps. Obviously, we'll take the neck meat, the rib meat, the grind meat, the tenderloins. So typically, it'll be four big bags, and then it'll be a bag of back straps, which depending how big it is, it could weigh 30, 40 pounds. Yeah. And then, you know, you got your grind, your neck meats. So it's essentially four bags, five bags, six bags, maybe yeah. a seventh bag sometimes on a, on a big elk. So we did it last year and don't fit. We had two professional hockey players with us, by the way, too. And they're in unbelievable shape, like way better than me. I'm 165 pounds <laughs> and in mediocre shape. Right. And we had another guy with us and we packed, my parameters, like, I don't like to get anything over, I mean, comfortably I can do 90 pounds on my back. Yeah. Last year we had 135 because we looked at each other and there's four of us and we said, do we really want to come back up the mountain? Yeah. And we made the decision to, you know, ditch a bunch of food and ditch a, as much as we could and, and, and leave. Right. So it, we were all at around that 130 mark, right. With the quarters. And it was. You know, 130 would be doable on on a trail, like if there was a good cut trail in there. But where we went, it was washed out creek beds, up and down, sideways, tried to trek back to find the trail, through thick, through grizzly country, right? Running into yeah. three-foot piles of crap in the middle of the road. It's, it's a little bit, you know, and that's another reason why we just said to go, right? Because we didn't want to hang meat and have mm -hmm. a chance of a grizzly coming in. But, I mean, with the backpacks these days, it's I guess it's what, what you feel comfortable with, right? There's It's not fun to you know, pack 150 pounds and blow your knee out on the way down, right? Then what no. are you going to do? So no. it's... No, and it's just grueling too, right? Um, yeah. So rule of thumb, like in, in the backpack or community, like a third of your weight going up is is lots, right? That that you should be trying to avoid going yep. over a third of your weight going going in as a backpacker. Now they're not talk that that's the rule of thumb for backpacking. That's not rule of thumb for hunting. What ends up <laughs> yeah. happening when you... Yeah, yeah. God. and your face with going back up and getting multiple loads, right? Uh, but I, yeah, like any, but yeah, for me, like I, I'm the same. Like I, I'm, I'm, you know, 190 pound, 46 year old guy. Like I should be a little lighter. I'm not as fit as I used to be. And like, yeah, 90 pounds. Like I, I one elk, like a, one elk leg and some miscellaneous gear is a pretty solid load. One elk, oh. a, a leg, like the hind leg and the head, and that's it. Is like I think that's got to be about a hundred pounds, oh, and that yeah. going down is 
is pretty hard on my body. I can do it with a bit of adrenaline, but like I'd much rather do like an 80 pound pack going down. Yep. And by my math, like there's five pack, like five 80 pound pack loads on a four year old six point yep. bull elk. Yep. And, and, uh, and six is ideal. If you can do, if you can holler at like, if you and your hunting partner can get four more buddies up there and you could do six loads, that's like, that's when you're like singing songs and packing your elk out when you've got six buddies yeah. rocking on an elk. Like, yeah, we, we, we did that last year and it was, it, it was a, about a four year old. It was a, it was a five by five, I think, or a five by four. We shot way, this one we shot way back. And it was mm-hmm. when we got back to, to the house, um, we weighed the quarters and they were 72, 73 pounds a quarter. And that, and that's probably maybe a three year old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we shot one last year. He was, uh, he was a six, but real, not big horns six six but just like mature huge body six and it was about it was about 96 97 pounds last year the one i shot and it was yeah it's it's a a lot of weight right and (laughs) and if you get into trouble in the backcountry doing that right you're 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 in trouble right totally i just had a i was bullshitting with a buddy of mine too and he was like he just watched a, a video of a producer that makes some solo hunting stuff. And he was asking me if I, if I knew the guy and, and, uh, cause he was a little bit discouraged with the content that he's putting out and he's a, he's, he's yeah. Anyways. And, and, uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Cause the year before he was solo hunting for elk and he was 25 miles back in the mountains. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I saw that. Man. I'm like, I'm not surprised. Like, it's oh. a, yeah, it's a long, long way back to be trying to solo hunt. And I don't think you, Maybe haven't killed an elk before because you have no. Oh, yeah. You, so. you don't like, you know, elk are big. I mean, moose are just, oh man, you oh. get into moose hunting. That's a whole different other, like that, just guys that do that, that thrive hunting moose. Oh. Uh, no. I, it's I, tough. Even, even, even like, oh, we call it easy moose. Like a, a moose that like, you know, dies with his nose, like on the edge of the trail that you can get your vehicle to yeah. uh, or an ATV to like, that's a good moose. And yeah. even that, like once that moose hits the ground, it's still four hours till, oh. till it's in the tree. If you're quick, like, yeah, you know, like it, there's, so, there's so much. So, so this is good. Okay. So an elk is six pack loads. Let's talk about moose. How many pack loads is a moose? Have you ever done it? We have, we, we did a moose, we got to draw an LEH and mind you in BC, we got the LEH. It wasn't a big one and we didn't have to pack it that far. We had to pack it maybe, maybe a kilometer from the truck cause, or from the side by side, a kilometer, yeah. maybe a kilometer half, right? We shot him and he ran about 600 yards down a hill and died, right? So up to the, you're looking like a kilometer and it's like straight up <laughs> and you're looking at this moose and it was like, a, I was like, it was a... a an immature moose, but it was probably like a three, I think three on one on the paddle. It was probably like a seven by something. And, uh, you know, cutting that thing up and quartering it, uh, trying to physically manhandle one of the hind quarters. It was like 125 pounds. Yeah. And, and it wasn't a big one. You get a 60 inch bull. Jeez. And it, everything I could do to climb up a 45 degree hill with 125 pounds. Yeah. To pull them down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I give those those you know, those guys credit that love hunting moose and don't get me wrong, I like moose, but 
you know, tastes good. I, it <laughs> does taste good, but would I go back 10 kilometers and on a backpack and hunt a moose? I, not unless I had six guys, maybe then. Yeah. But um, a couple of years ago, well, it's a few years ago now, but with my elk hunting partner and he's, he's an older guy and he's my mentor. And, and we were just like, we were just getting into our elk season that year. And we had just, we had this beautiful morning. We got up and we were camped on the side of the river. We go up onto the hill and we hear a couple of bugles. So we set up and watch for a bit and sure enough we see these elk kind of wander down this ridge and there's there's two like five point bull elk that have it out on this ridge line and they're perfectly skylined and the sun comes up behind them so just like this beautiful scene of these two elk just sparring and like yeah yeah silhouetted by this by the sun coming up and like huh that's great well definitely five points we'll carry on with our day and we hear some bugling up the valley we got you know there's our roadmap we know what we're doing next and we're just like wow this is awesome and we're scooting up the valley and uh we come into what well we come into this beautiful grove that we're actually going to start calling in because we figure this is a good spot to maybe draw these couple bulls that are calling out and we can have a look at them it's nice enough to get a look at them and sure enough there's this great big like beautiful 60 inch bull moose just grazing through the middle of the meadow and like i mean i've seen some big moose but this is the northern moose and this is like yeah i grew up hunting moose and around prince george and stuff so yep. the moose are nice but they're not big and this is yep. big yeah and we're shoulder to shoulder and we're looking at this thing and it's it's like definitely a 10 point bull like you, you count 10 pretty fast on either side and, and we're like shit should we shoot that thing <laughs> It's like less than a hundred yards away. It's got its head down and it's just like, yeah. And so we're like, well, shit, the elk hunting's pretty good, eh? Like, yeah. So we, we kill that thing. How many pack loads? 12, 14. 12. Yeah. Yeah. We're two kilometers back to the boat. Temperature's not bad. Could probably do it. Yeah. Could hang quarters here, I guess. How many, but that would be two days of work. So, Yep. In all this whispering, we decided that we weren't willing to give up two days of elk hunting yeah. to pack this moose off the mountain, even though it was a tremendous moose. But yeah, it, it, ha, ha, had this moose stepped out after four days of you know crawling around the mountains and not hearing any bugle, <laughs> but there was yeah. like two elk coming into the same spot and like yeah. two elk behind us and we were having a great hunt. But but yeah, the reality was is that would have, not only would it have taken 12 loads, it would have taken two days of, of our effort. Yeah. Um, to get that moose moved, and then you know that would, and that would be our hunt, right? And, that, and then we're yeah. going home because we've got thousand pounds of moose meat to, yeah, you know, get home, right? So, yeah, okay. So moose are anywhere from like eight to twelve loads. Let's talk about mule deer because I see a lot of folks out there going after mule deer. Um, in your experience, what happens when you shoot a mature four point buck and it's laying on the ground? How many loads? I I think a guy that could reasonably do, I mean, a good mule deer, a hindquarter is going to weigh, I mean, if you're, I mean, that depends. If you're an Alberta mule deer, it's going to weigh like 60 pounds. It could, right? A big mature. You know, the yep. ones we have typically around the Kootenays or the Invermeers, you're going to get a hindquarter is going to weigh 45, 50 pounds. So typically, depending how far you are, what I've done is, is I've, you know, take one quarter, 
put it in your backpack, take the back straps, and I'll take the front quarters. I'll tie paracord around it, depending how far I'm, and I'll wrap it around my neck and hang it off the front. Oh. Hang it off the front. If that's yeah. it, you know, obviously if I'm nine kilometers, I'm not going to do that, right? But yeah. if you're, you know, only a couple kilometers from the truck, well, you can get away with that. But typically, I don't, I don't think you'll get around a mule deer. Now with the new regulations this year, that you have to take absolutely everything off the deer now right you yeah. can't leave a stitch of edible meat right which is a good yeah. thing right it, it's i like to yeah. see that the government's being you know enforcing these rules and, and and allowing people to harvest something and use all of it right um but definitely i think a mule deer is definitely it would be two trips i mean unless you're a guy like cam haynes that just throws the whole deer on his back and <laughs> and walks it out yeah. right yeah. <laughs> like that guy's a different level but uh but I think it's two trips for any average person. You know, some average person might be three trips, right? Depending yeah. on the condition and shape you're in, right? I think you need to work within your means, definitely, right? Um, yeah. Don't overexert yourself. I mean, you know, to get back to that whole, you know, curing process of meat in the field when you're harvesting something. So, you know, meat will, like a younger buck obviously has a doe or a yearling buck has less collagen than a an eight-year-old right so typically you know the process for curing that isn't as long as a long buck right so you can typically get that buck off or you can start cutting it up right away and, and getting it in you know the process for curing isn't long as is a big buck right so, so you know but like when you say cure like you mean aging it to where it's sort of aging it sorry not yeah. curing yet aging it yeah so typically yeah. like with a a yearling buck i'll if I can shoot it and harvest it and get it back to my hang fridge at home, like I have a big hang cooler, if I can get it back there, a yearling to one year old, I mean, I don't shoot too many of them or I don't like to say I do, but um, <laughs> uh, 24 hours to 48 hours, you let your rigor mortis set from 12 to 24 hours, you let that process go through. And then, you know, that yearling buck is, is good. Uh, two to four years old, typically five days, I'll hang it. Okay. Get that little bit of crust. Um, obviously, as they get older, the, there's more collagen, and the enzymes need to work a little harder to break it down. And then you know that that five year old, that trophy buck that you're going to shoot, five to eight years old. I usually hang it for like 17 days. Oh wow. Okay. I'll hang. A lot of guys say 10 to 12 is enough. I mean, I sometimes I left I left one for 20 days last year. Mm -hmm. um, you lose a little bit, and a lot of guys like to say they like to eat that you know, that crust that forms on the outside. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys like to eat that. I know the longer you hang it, the thicker that, that brown gets on the outside. Mm -hmm. It gets a little bigger, right? But on the bigger bucks, 100%, it's night and day to hang them longer, the taste difference. If you don't hang it, if you eat a buck after two or three days, a big buck, it's like chewing on a, a leather belt, a little less than a leather belt, right? A little more tender mm -hmm. than that, but it's like... I definitely find the difference there, right? So I think it's all a matter of how old the animal is, right? To yeah. to age that meat, right? Yeah, yeah. I the um I've definitely experienced that. I, I mean, I'm 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 lucky to have a pretty good relationship with my butcher, so he's yeah. keeps me kind of looped in on 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 the aging process. And sometimes they just don't have the option to age it as long as they'd like because they've got a process they got they got to get stuff moving through, right? And yeah. and uh, and I've definitely had you know an elk come back that's been aged, you know, a week versus two or three weeks, and and the, and the difference is significant. And um, yeah, it's definitely worth playing with that a little bit, but. Um, 
Um, you, you mentioned the rigor mortis process. I'm curious if you can kind of explain that for the layman's what, what, what's, or for me, <laughs> the layman, what's actually happening with the rigor mortis pro- process after an animal dies? So it's typically, from my understanding, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not no expert in it, but typically that, well, you know, you know, when you shoot a deer and let's just say you can't find it, you go back and end it, it is like stiff as, like stiff, yeah. stiff, right? You can't move it, right? So I don't know if it's the muscles that, I don't know, I don't know exactly the process of happened, but obviously that, I know that process typically takes place between 12 and 24 hours after you harvest any animal, right? Okay. So yeah. I call that like, I, I refer to that as, I mean, it's not a danger zone, but it's kind of that zone where, you know, I'll tell everyone, don't har I mean, harvest animal, don't cut it up, package it up, put it in the freezer right away, regardless yeah. if it's a yearling or a five-year-old, because that process of rigor mortis still happens in that time frame. So that's what I mentioned, that leather belt, right? If you cut an animal up in that process, it's like chewing on a leather belt, right? It's not giving those enzymes an opportunity to stop, work its magic, break the collagen down, start tenderizing that meat, right? Yeah. So... And I think a lot of misconception and, and a lot of this is another controversial subject is you hear it all the time of I shot an animal. I don't know if I shot him that good. I'm going to leave him. Mm, like they always yeah. say, I'm leave him. I no, I'm never a fan of leaving an animal overnight. There's just, yeah. like I mentioned that temperature, like as a hunter, yeah. you need to put in the work. If you're going to shoot an animal, you make a bad shot. That's on you, right? You need to yeah. do the work to be able to retrieve that animal and, and it hopefully you retrieve it and it's edible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a gut shot, you give them six hours. I've sat there in my tree stand for five, six hours because I knew I hit him back filming. And I said, no, I got to wait. I know where he went. But I think the misconception is people tend to leave them. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan. I know a lot of people say they do. They don't want to bump them out of their bed, right? But, you know, again, that longer you leave that hide on, if you shoot someone at, you know, let's say in September where it's dark at eight o'clock and that yeah. animal runs and you don't go back until eight 30, well, that's 24 hours that that thing is just basically boiling in heat. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that bacteria process starts literally as soon as that animal died or not even died yet, that bacteria will start forming. Like you shoot them in the guts, that bacteria starts even quicker. Right. Yeah. For sure. All the, all the natural bacteria in your stomach. Right. So, I never like to leave an animal. I no, no. I I've dealt with animals where you know we've had a hunting. Somebody in a hunting partner shoot a deer at night or the evening, and we've gone back to get it the next day, and it's all you know. It's all it's not it's not good. It's it smells mm-hmm. bad, and it's like it's it's you can you can work with the meat and make yeah. it edible, but it's not it's not good. I mean, if you're you better hope that when you hit something at you know half an hour to dark that you're you've got a good kill and um. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I, I'm not a big fan of like leaving it overnight. I think I think that leave it for half an hour, let it die. And if it doesn't die, then sneak in on it and do your best to kill it before it sees you. Yeah, and and, and um, even up north, it was in Dawson Dawson Creek working for two years. Minus thirty, shot a deer, and just we looked. We gave him time. We looked, couldn't find him. So we went back the next day and found him. And even in minus 30, that guy will freeze on the outside. But yeah. when we opened that thing up overnight, it was so hot and the sweat and the meat stunk. Yeah. And it's just, it goes to say, even in that cold weather, there's still an opportunity. I'm not saying every animal will do that, but there is an opportunity that that process will still take happen and it'll happen internal out, right? 
that that hide is just going to form that layer of insulation, right? That won't allow that to cool, right? Even though it's minus thirty out. Yeah, totally, so. totally. All right, I, we're coming up to an hour here, and I don't want to keep you, yeah. but I'll, no. I'll, I'll come back to my to my process that I get yeah. I catch a bit of shit for because people you'll know, see assume what I'm doing or look well I'll walk you through it so yeah. my process when I so I bring six clear plastic bags that I order from um uh well they're food safe bags and they're giant they're big enough to put an elk quarter in and I have you know three or six of those in my backpack killing elk I I got it um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of, I just got it because it takes five minutes to got it and then the heat's yep. out, right? And th- everything's cooling. And I break it down into six pack loads. Each thing that comes off goes right off the animal into the clear plastic bag. And then I could lay it on the ground. So heat's getting out of that thing because it's, you know, that's, you know, the, the, the plastic doesn't insulate it. It just, it keeps moisture from getting out, but not the heat. Yeah. So now I've got six pack loads laying there. Hopefully my buddies have shown up by, by time. I'm done cutting up the animal. Everybody grabs a quarter, dumps it in their pack, and then runs down the hill to the truck or the jet boat or whatever we're doing. And and my thinking is that while it's a detriment to have it in plastic initially, at least the plastic is preventing it from, you know, first of all, laying it down on the dirt and then following that, laying it, like throwing it in somebody's backpack that by the, you know, which is also just, you know, everybody's backpack is a plastic bag now too, basically, right? They don't Pretty they don't much. breathe any better than a game uh, a game bag or a plastic bag. Yep. And then get to the truck or the jet boat, and then you dump this thing in the bottom of the jet boat that's covered in oil, or the back of the truck that's covered in whatever. Like at least this plastic kind of protects that meat from the back from the actual airborne bacteria or the yep. truck borne bacteria. Yeah. And then and and at the earliest convenience, you get you back up to a meat pole hang the meat up, get the plastic off, and then put on your Huto game bag to for long-term storage. Yeah. So. Uh, and you know what? Honestly, like I said, it, I've said it to lots of people, like do with what works. If you can do that process and you can get that beat to your boat, your to the hang meat in, in a couple hours, then that works, right? That yeah. That's totally acceptable. You're not going to spoil any meat that way. Now, would you do that if you have to pack it 12 hours? Absolutely no, not. Right. And that's where we look at the game bags. And that's where I came. That's what I thought, you know, all the, all these companies make them, but a light game bag that's going to breathe that you're way back in the woods. Now, do I pack my game bags every time I go hunting? When I go like, don't get me wrong. I love backcountry. I love backpacking, but do I like bombing around in my truck? Of course I do. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, I love doing that too. Right. So do I pack them all the time? No, it's kind of, it's kind of what you do and how your style of hunting is. Right. There's, yeah. there's, you know, so many people have told me there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? You want to use a pillowcase, use a pillowcase. You want to use Tyvex, you want to use house wrap. It all, it all works, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of what you want to do with it, right? And, and what works best. And there's different situations for, for different areas, right? So. But um, to review the principles, number one, get the heat out of it, get it cooling down. Definitely, definitely, hundred percent. I get the hide off. I like to keep the meat on the bone. Uh, get the hide, gut it, get the guts out, get it flowing. Cut the anus out. I'm a big fan of that. Rip that back end right out so everything yeah. can try to get the head elevated in the butt. So everything, if you're gutting it as thing, everything is moving out. Yeah. And then start 
hiding that thing out and getting the meat. Like I have, I also do like a, it's called a meat tarp. I call it. It's like a super lightweight fly sheet. I have throw that on the ground, throw the quarters on it as you're gutting it, throw the quarters on it. And then once the quarters are all done, you know, get your game bags, load them up, put in your backpack and you're gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's the most and moisture, moisture management is a big key. And obviously heat is a big aspect to the whole thing. If you can manage heat, moisture and let that breathe i think you're going to be a good position right to get that Very animal and be able to, to enjoy that harvest right so and that's cool. the whole point why we do it so awesome so what's your dream hunt in british columbia i'd love to do a ram hunt in northern british columbia i'd love to do a i got asked and hopefully it will work out that i can go for a a moose hunt way up these like a way up a river we could fly and horseback in it would be a cool hunt um, in Canada, those like a big ram would be pretty cool. Um, I'd love to go down to places like the States and hunt, you know, those giant 400 inch elk, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But totally. you know, that's a dream yourself. What do you, what's your, your dream? You've probably done all of it. Uh, I haven't done it. Uh, I've got a couple of, I, I'd like to do a moose hunt. Like a, I've done a ton of moose hunting growing up and it was kind of a slog as a kid. Like just, you know, it was spent a lot of time drifting down rivers or driving yeah. around looking and um, and then eventually just a lot of time sitting in a swamp calling um, yeah. all of which is you know pretty pretty tough but pretty pretty mind-numbing but <laughs> I would love to go up north and I'd love to take my pack rafts and uh, and find a spot where I can leverage the pack raft to hunt some like almost open alpine moose yeah. terrains where you can spot them and then you can, you know, think about how you're going to get on them. So you have a little bit more uh, control over the hunt, as whereas yeah. growing up hunting was a little bit more like, you know, you're just you're waiting for some, you know, old moose who's down on his luck to come wander out in front of you. Yeah. Um, no. So so that that's kind of interesting. That that's on the list. Caribou uh, hunt is. I've yeah. done one caribou hunt. That's well, a couple caribou hunts that haven't really had the weather cooperate. So one of these days that's going to work out, but. Uh, I'm a retired sheep hunter now, so I don't, yeah, I don't have they're, they're, that's tough hunting, man. Those guys that like I watch those hunts on TV that do that yeah. stuff. It's like it's a dream for me to do, and I'm gonna do it, right? But it's just like some of the areas they have to go, like the guides, like you know, this Cameron Cotez. I talked to a little bit out of Chase. He's a guide. He does a lot of that stuff. Like those guys are that's next level. I don't know that it's it's crazy hunting, right? So it's yeah. fun, but. uh I guess it's what you enjoy doing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm on the hook actually for well. So my hunting partner uh, Jenny, who was with me when I shot my ram last year, uh, the ram we killed was a, a ten year old ram, but with it was a nine year old ram, um, and uh, beautiful full curl nine year old ram, and and uh, and Jenny passed on it because <sighs> she she knew that well we we she knew that we just couldn't deal with both rams yeah, down in that heat, yeah. so she made the right yeah. call, yep. and um, yep. so. So I'm going back with her as many times as it takes for her to get yeah. her around because that was, the, a, that was the right call. So. You know, but you look back in those situations and you're bummed out that, you know, that's a good trophy animal, but you know, it, it's the experience, right? And I've always said it before, like, you know, going hunting with family, with friends, not even hunting, fishing, like I go to Hakai fishing every year with my dad, you know, successful or not you know, harvesting an animal on those trips is, is like a bonus, right? You get to get out there, spend time with friends and family. That's that stuff that money can't, you can't buy that stuff. Right. 
and that's where it's like those memories in life that you'll never get back right so yeah it's like yeah harvesting something's fun you're like oh this is fun yeah we shot something and then you got to pack at nine kilometers you're like i'm never doing this again and the next day you wake <laughs> up you're like hey we're we going back up right get so, one? <laughs> so let's go get another one we got three more tags right so um yeah yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, fun. no, I hear you. Well, no, this has been fun, Mike. It's great to get yeah. to know you a little bit. And I, yeah. I'm stoked to try out these uh, game bags this year. It's exactly what I had in mind. So I'm glad I kind yeah. of stumbled on you. On to you. And um, yeah, thanks for shipping this up. Um, if people we, want to find you or find your game bags, um, where should we, where should we send them? Yeah, we got a, the the website, hudolifestyle.ca. Uh, obviously, in the in Cologne area, they're like hardcore. Great North Precision carries them. We just got an order from... Uh, core lane so i'm starting to get it more into stores i've kind of i did a little bit of a partnership with um uh kind of a collaboration with wapiti wapiti outdoors travis mm-hmm. o'shea he's he's the owner of that by the way great calls like if you want a good call get, get a hold of trav and get these you know these elk calls he's got they're they're phenomenal he's he makes them right in grand prairie the nicest guy you'll ever meet so we've done kind of a little together on these game bags so um we got those and then i'm just i'm constantly trying to get into you know more of these stores for me it's like i think i have a good product and it works well i've tested it it's just you know like i this isn't my full-time job right i i got a busy job as it is right so it's just more about getting the name up but yeah check out my website if you got any questions social media instagram um we got some other cool stuff we got some big moose sets coming out now 12 bag sets um we just constantly looking at some new stuff to come out so cool so maybe we could partner on that uh, on the whole deer eat wild hold your game bag let's just... let's do it let's get the logo it, it's <laughs> let's do it let's do an eat wild game bag it's it's a simple process you design it we'll design some logos and stuff and let's get a line of eat, eat wild out yeah let's right do it. cool man well this has been fun we'll hang on the line here we'll just say our goodbyes well thanks folks for joining us it's been a lot of fun having mike defoe on the call here Anyways, Mike, have a have a safe and successful hunting season. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for, thanks for coming. Yeah, on. you too. Hope to see you up at Hackeye next year. Yeah, I'll be there. Right on, man. I appreciate it. Right on. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question, either on our Instagram or Email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. There are tons of fun come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.